Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we're staying in Ireland to be joined by Kevin O'Loughlin, CEO and owner of the new offices of Nostra Technologies. Kevin, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Rain. The reference to the new offices is you've left Lucan and you've moved to Park West. So congrats on that. Yeah, literally just in the door uh, and, and set up the PC and we're on a call. So it's so brand new. Well, a long way from the Poban County leash. And that's where I'd like to start. Talk to me about early childhood influences, any favorite stand-up memories from your childhood? That's, a, that's going a long way back, yeah. So, so uh, uh, well, I was blessed. Look, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial household. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and looking back on it, I, you, you often like, you know, you scratch your head with the things that happened. But like in 1987, uh, my dad bought a, a pub in, in County Leash, uh, just beside where we lived in Rosenhouse. And uh, but he had a full time job working, you know, nine till five in Kilkenny himself, which is a job he's going to continue doing. So we bought a pub shop and post office of which my mum uh, was going to take over running. And at the time, she had a 10 year old, eight year old, seven year old, six year old, and five year old. Wow. <laughs> you know, and I can't even imagine if I was the hands of my wife a scenario where I said, right, we're going to buy a pub in the shop and you're going to run it while I continue to run my business on a daily basis with five young children. Um, but, but ultimately what that meant was it was an all hands on deck. You know, we, we all worked from a, a very young age in it. And, you know, from the house, we all had to be, uh, you know, self-manage our own, our own rooms and, and, uh, and help with the cooking and help with the cleaning up and, and every night in the pub for the younger ones picking up glasses and you know working in the shop on a Saturday doing two two hour shifts today and so you know that from a work perspective and a realization of you know working hard does give you a reward it was a, a lesson we all learned very early and, and, and really we were, we were blessed to have that influence at such a young age. Owner of or CEO of Nostra Technologies I've alluded to already uh, was there always an interest in computers? I know you tell a story about an Amstrad 30 from a young age. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, from a very young age. So in, in, in uh, 1989, uh, Dad, who, uh, those who would have known him, uh, you know, he was never defined as a technical man, uh, certainly not by me, but, but uh, he was, he, he understood that technology had value. Uh, well, he didn't necessarily want to do it himself, but he bought a computer for the house. And myself and my eldest brother Keith took a took a real interest in it. And I suppose uh, we we used to be fighting over who gets to gets to use it. And it did. I mean, look back to in those days, it did very little. And um, you know, even simple things like you know, I remember there was a game on it. Uh, it was called Digger, right? And the game uh, you went in and you were just eating, going to ground, and you catch your zombies or whatever you were catching, right? And a uh, very basic uh, thing. But a couple of years later, we bought a newer computer and we transferred the game across. But the speed of the game was proportional to how quick the computer was, right? So you put it in the new computer and literally you'd start the game and immediately you were dead because you, it was like a millisecond. 
because the computer was so much faster. You know, like it's it's just mad. You know, when you when you think back to how much technology has moved. Like in 1990, you know, there would have been a handful of email addresses in Ireland. Very few companies would have had computers, and um, you know, very few people would have had exposure to them. And we were really lucky to be able to get that. You know, in in 1989, when you know, I don't know how many they probably would have been selling. A couple of hundred computers in the whole of Ireland, predominantly to businesses, and we we got the pleasure of having one at home. So, I'm jealous because you're part of the generation that's got to live with and without yeah. uh, major advancements in technology. Before we move on to all good things with business, a couple of things I know about you: you're a father, owner of a dog, car lover, been to places like San Francisco. What's one thing you're into or curious about that not a lot of people would know about you? That's, that's probably uh, a, a tough question. Um, what am I into? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, for the last, my current fad is I'm sea swimming every morning at uh, in the forty foot, and that's something I definitely can't say. I, you know, even I, we we always go on holidays there to Kerry every year, and I'm one of the ones who refused to get in the sea to do gold, and then after a couple of pints, I agreed in September to to get in the sea. Here and I've done it more or less every morning since. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think one of the things I'm 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 not uh, I'm not an out and out techie in the sense that I find what technology does very interesting, and I and I find I really like the solution side of it. So I I love when somebody throws me a problem, and then I understand the technology that can fix it. But I'm not. Uh, ever somebody who actually sits in front of a PC all day every day. I mean, I read more magazines uh, on technology than I read on a computer screen. And I would, in an average day, spend seven hours with people and maybe an hour on technology. Um, so, you know, there's a, often a perception of everyone in the IT industry spends all day on tech. Uh, I don't have never been able to. And actually, I went to college back in, in 99. And the one thing I realized very quickly, and I mean, within three days of doing it, I absolutely couldn't handle sitting, looking at a computer screen for long periods of time. Never been able to people first, uh, and and, uh, and and that realization. So I should have went and done commerce in UCD as opposed to doing computer applications, which is what I picked. Um, so yeah, I, I like technology and I appreciate it, but I'm I'm not necessarily an no techie. You started your career as a IT manager in Carlo. Uh, and then almost eight years as a sales manager in type tech. The question I have is, was there any lessons that you could carry over from those or how did those, you know, number of years help you when you decided to go and launch Nostra Technologies? Was there anything you could carry over so that it could prevent you from making as many mistakes? Well, for me, you know, there's a, there's a piece that I that I really uh, always accept, which is everything that you do in life gives you a lesson, right? And you know, if I take and um, uh, my my IT manager probably uh, it was an exaggerated position to be fair. It was my dad's company, and I ran the IT, and so technically I was the IT manager. But I was 13 years of age when I started doing that, and and, and when I was 19. I joined Type Tech and, and ultimately Type Tech took over. And I would be the engineer doing it, but they took over as IT. Um, but you know, like if I look at that period in my life, you know, if something went wrong, 
uh, dad would land into the school, pick me up, bring me to the factory, fix the IT problem, and then drop me back to the school. And, and uh, you know, some of the early lessons I learned from that as an example is that I had to make things that didn't break because it just didn't, you know, that was where, where the inflection point was. And, and I really learned about simplifying things and making them really easy. And I cannot, if I understand how to do something, but the person who's using it doesn't fully understand it, you know, it breaks down. And, and, I, and I was dealing with it. If you go back then, I mean, the pe when I put computers in Greenville, I'm certain to go keep, but the users did not understand computers in any way, shape, or form. And we had had not long, but a couple of years of knowledge of them in advance of that. So for me, I learned about simplifying everything, which is still Nostra's uh, theme today, you know, and, and I was able to bring that through. And I also understood the power of the euro. I mean, there was a pound at the time. But, you know, dad was trying to run the business on tight margins. And, you know, Greenville it was a pig slaughtering uh, factory. And, you know, every penny counted. So, you know, I always had to justify to myself and to him why I was making a recommendation. So we need to buy this and here's why we should do it. And, you know, he used to always push back and go, no, it's too expensive. And then I'd go out, you know, going, ah, you won't take my advice. And then I'd find something that was cheaper. And, and I remember one day I sat down with him and he said, well, it's two months since you told me to buy it. I haven't bought it. And the factory has grown in that period of time. So, you know, they're, they're, we've survived without it. I'd like to have it, but it has to make sense. And, and, and one of the things I suppose, by working that closely with him particularly, you really got to understand the mindset of, of somebody who actually was, you know, it's his money he was spending. So if he was buying something, he absolutely needed to fully understand the value of it. Mm. And my justification to him was far more than I'd have to do to any of my customers today. And I really had to do it. And, and if I got it wrong, he, he wouldn't talk to me for a week. So you had the double whammy, you know, you have to get it right and you have to, so, so that, that, you know, mindset of a business owner. And now, and we've always had that policy in here that when I'm talking to business owners, I'm coming at it from, I'm a business owner, you know, and, and I won't sell something to someone, you know, to someone unless we're happy with it ourselves. ourselves. So like, as an example, we're moving to the new building in Parkwest. And we've made a call for going all wireless, right? And we haven't seen that in any customer we've taken on or any customer that we have in, 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 in Ireland. We've some very big and some very small customers. And we're going to try it, right? I mean, companies have tried it and failed before, but we're going to try and have a cableless and printerless office ultimately and have it as an all paper based solution. I'm going to try it if it works, and I believe it will work, and there's nothing to suggest it won't. I'm sure if people listen to podcasts, they're sure we can pay for some wireless offices as it is, right? Great. But, you know, for us, we, we, we'll we make this work. And if it does work, we'll then go to our customers. And as they're upgrading, we'll do it. But, you know, again, the logic of it, I'm not going to go to a company that has a perfectly wired office and say, get rid of your wiring, use wireless. But if they're moving office, I'm going to say, well, look, rather than spending 100 grand on cable, let's spend 10 grand on Wi-Fi and build mm -hmm. out the same solution. Um, and it was really interesting, even like the engineers who were doing it were in our comms room and there's, you know, 150 desks in our office, right? And there's like 16 cables plugged in in our comms room. It looks like a comms room of a, a 10 person organization. And um, so it's really cool to see that kind of simplification model. 
Um, and that's something that I always do. So I want to I want to do it for myself. I want to make sure it works, and I want to do it right. And then I'll bring it to my customers. And I'm going. I've done this. I've made the investment personally, and that's why I'm suggesting you do it. Is there a commonly held belief about your industry that you disagree with? Oh yeah, well, there's there's probably a lot of uh, beliefs in that about our industry that we disagree with, and and I would also, you know, I am very opinionated about about our network should be built. Um, so I suppose the, the two big things uh, that that I would I would uh, get frustrated at are one, uh, we most often compete with organisations where they're pitching huge amount of infrastructure or a huge amount of cloud services right and uh, and there's a challenge in the industry like there's a conflict in our industry so you know if i take your uh, your organization ring and i say right we're going to move you to the cloud if you consider i make a percentage margin on on the cloud so the bigger the cloud the more money i make okay mm -hmm. so there's no incentive for me to go you don't need all that cloud right so you might have a ton of on-premise servers, and I see this day and day, and we're going to take you 20 servers, and we're going to move them all to the cloud, and that's going to cost you four grand a month, right? And yeah. that's, that's great for me as a provider, because now I'm making a margin on four grand a month. And for me, we've made a long-term business decision that every single salesperson has to justify any proposal that they put out to a customer. We hold them accountable to that, right? So... In so many cases, we see people spending four grand a month when in fact they should be spending zero. Right? That's a lot of money. Mm, and, for sure. And the reason is because if you go and embrace the cloud properly and actually explain to a customer what you're doing. So I'll give you an example. We had one recently, we went into an organization and they had a cloud infrastructure of 3,000 months, right? And they, they were very proud of it. Right, we moved with our existing provider to the cloud, and it's been great. And all our team are able to work at home, and everything's all fabulous. So we did an audit, we reviewed it all, and we said, okay, you, you do know your cloud infrastructure only facilitates your two people in your accounts department. The other thirty-six people in your company all run directly off Office three hundred and sixty-five. So your three thousand a month is for your accounts, and your uh, the rest of your business is in fairness set up properly and running. <clears throat> and they went back to their existing provider and said, why is it costing so much? Well, you wanted to move all your systems to the cloud and you weren't prepared. We asked you, would you consider changing your, your package? And uh, you said you weren't. So we then priced to build them into the cloud. And the customer is going, but like, why didn't you tell us it was just that? Because at, they, they could move to a new accounts package for five grand, one off cost, and have a hundred quid a month recurring fee so you're talking about like less than a 90 day return on investment to a more modern and more powerful accounts application that in, in fact one of the things it did is it plugged into all the banks downloaded and reconciled all the bank statements without human intervention and it brought them huge advancements in what they could do so for us and by the way in that particular scenario the accounts package they moved to is not something that we supplied we made nothing out so we literally go in and we're going right we're going to take over your it we're going to cut your three grand a month to zero overnight. And, you know, in my own opinion, I'm not sure that our suppliers are even particularly happy with our model because we take out almost as much cloud as we put back in. And what I'm seeing is people are going, I want to be in the cloud. I'm going to move everything up. 
but actually what they're doing is they're taking a traditional old-fashioned on-premise server infrastructure and sticking it on the cloud, which is just making it further away from their users, rather than upgrading to modern applications like, like think of Salesforce, mm -hmm. pay 50 quid a month and you get your CRM package and you don't have to worry about where it's hosted. You have no big upfront fees. You have no, you know, that's just a model that works on. Traditional applications, you buy the application and you run it in your office. But if I'm home, it's a hassle to get. So for us, we're huge fans of, of going all cloud with pure cloud applications and, and organizations having real flexibility. You know, we moved office. Every single one of our team went home on Wednesday of last week. They've all worked from home. We shut the entire office down. We moved everything to a new office. We turned it back on and then we're bringing people back in. But our systems are all in the cloud. It doesn't matter where they are. We've no VPNs. We've no dependency on our building. If our building burnt down, it would have no impact on our ability to produce. And, and, and that's a, a, an objective that we try and get to with as many organizations as we can. Obviously, manufacturing the building is important, but we don't want the IT in the building to be important. That attitude must lead to increased client retention over time. Yeah, I don't know what it does. I mean, I, I, like we and our customers see it all the time. Like, you know, I, I would say. Uh, so, so I'll give you, like, I would often have a debate uh, with a salesperson in front of a customer where the salesperson is saying, you know, we're recommending you get, you know, trying to say recently a customer was putting a new system in the office, right? And it was a CCTV system. And the CCTV company had said, you know, you need to provide us with our own independent network. We don't want to run off any network that you currently have. And then we had to quote for, you know, the network to physically put it in to allow the CCTV to run. So we're down and I'm asked to go to the meeting. We're chatting with the customer. Customer asking, what do you think? And I'm saying, I think it's ridiculous. You already have enough ports. You don't need to buy an additional network. If you put it in, we're going to have to manage it. Like this is just unnecessary. And then we're getting into the reasons why. So we're talking to a CCTV company who are saying, you know, if you consider the dynamic, the CCTV company is trying to say to us, please supply them with a new network, right? And I'm saying as the supplier, no, I don't want to, right? And the customer sitting there going, okay, well, I don't, I don't know what I should do here. Um, and we didn't, right? Because, you know, we, we know how to build a network properly. And the CCTV company is concerned that if there's an issue of quality, that, you know, it'll be because other things are running on the system. And we can say, well, no, we, we'll, we'll set it up that if there is a network issue, we'll be able to identify it and manage it properly. But you don't need to go out and buy a whole new infrastructure just to separate it because that's your requirement. And we'll take the responsibility for that. So the customer ended up spending nothing. We left without a PO and, and the customer arrived at the meeting prepared to give us one. And that's the, so again, that customer refers us to loads of people as most of our customers do. And it's all around, we want very long-term relationships. We've just signed a very significant lease on a new building for the next with, with no break, I think for 10 years, right? And, uh, and and that's because we want our business to be here in the long term. And I need yeah. my customers to be with me. And if I want to make five grand off a customer today at the risk of being unfair to them and doing the wrong thing, the one that's, that doesn't sit well with me, so I don't sleep well after that kind of thing. And secondly, I want the customer to, to give me a small amount of money over the next 10 years. I'm never going to have short term delay. Yeah. As you're talking, it kind of reminds me of the early 
working relationship you had with your dad the way you uh, work nowadays so I can see he's left an impact and, a, and an influence on who Kevin is today yeah. um, cyber attacks happen a lot I'm going to read from my screen because that's something I took from your site um, yeah. many uh, the public there's many attacks that the public don't hear of you recently wrote an article for the currency magazine on 14 questions that every business needs to ask to help prevent and deal with a cyber attack what are some things people really need to consider if they are on the fence of getting on board or not? A statistic that you quoted was 43% of cyber attacks are aimed at small businesses, but only 14% of those are prepared to defend themselves. And these incidences can cost businesses of those size, you know, $200,000 on average. Yeah, look, the, the, the cyber is a, is a real issue and, and the key thing I think people need to understand is <clears throat> nobody talks about it after they've been attacked right and the HSE has somewhat changed that but the fact that nobody talks about it means that you're you might be sitting there uh, with at a table in a restaurant with six other business owners three of them might have been attacked but they're not going to sit there and go we had a cyber breach you don't yeah. want to get out you don't want to tell your customers so the first thing is it is far more common than anyone actually Right. So we have had 51 cyber breaches in the last seven years that we have managed and dealt with with, with organizations predominantly based in Ireland, right? Not all in Ireland, predominantly based in Ireland. And out of that, four or five of those were extremely significant. And uh, and there, there's a number of challenges around this, right? So one, um, you know, if we talk about internal IT and uh, you know. An internal IT team will build out an IT system, right? And you, you have to remember, internal IT teams aren't trained in negotiation, and yet they're going up against the CEO of an organization to try and negotiate to put in a proper secure system. And most often they lose that negotiation, right? Because the CEO is a better negotiator. Yeah. But then a cyber breach happens, and the IT manager gets his finger. Uh, or his hand slapped as such, right? Because now you should have told me about this. And I said, well, I did try and tell you, and I went up and I spoke to you, but you didn't listen to what, what my advice was. So what we're seeing is that, you know, IT managers are frustrated at the lack of investment that's been made by organizations. But also I will say IT managers often are trying to go with the massive budget and look at the big brands of what's the biggest security brand that I can put in. And you know, if you go on to Google and who's the best security company in the world, right? That's fine. You might get a name, but that name might only be relevant to the top 10% of organizations. Mm. And what, what we need is appropriate IT security and support. So the challenge that you have is business owners go to their IT manager, will you uh, let me know how our security is? And they will go back more often than not and saying, yeah, we're in really good shape. That's the very common thing that happens. Because if they say, I'm not in good shape, no, our IT security is terrible. Our systems are completely exposed and open, and we have a huge vulnerability in the system, right? The first question is, you set it up, did you not? Are you my IT manager? You set up the IT system, and now you're telling me it's not secure? Why didn't you tell me this a year ago, right? So IT managers are afraid to actually own up to the current state of their IT systems. And we had a breach last year 
where a company rang us on a Sunday morning and they had just passed an internal security audit with flying coverage. And the audit was by and large inaccurate, right to the basic level. You know, take, take patching. All of our systems are patched to the latest standard and none of our systems have been patched in a year now. So you have IT managers who are afraid to go and actually say where they are. And that's really the vulnerability that you're in. And the other thing I'm going to say is that almost every attack we've dealt with in the last 12 months, every single one of those organizations had a view that they were secure. Some had a view they were extremely secure. And when we went in and did our, our review, we found that they weren't secure at all. Not even, you know, some of them had the most basic of doors open. And just on security, right? And this is really important, that most security breaches happen via email. Right, and just consider an email. If I send you an email, right, almost, almost certainly, I'm going to say 99.9999% that email will land in your inbox. Yep. Okay. So if I attach something to that email, I'm up at that 99% that that's going to land in your inbox. Mm -hmm. So if you consider that's gone through, that's literally skipped over every single piece of security that you spent your money on to secure your business. And now you have something that potentially is vulnerable sitting inside your organization. It's like a Trojan horse in, in, in the world. And people don't understand the vulnerability that it creates. Now, we can't be in the scenario that we're stopping all emails and we're doing a full check and somebody's checking everything and making sure. But, but most attacks come in by email. And the second thing that happens is, particularly in the current environment, a lot of people working from home. When I'm working from home, almost none of the office security is actually keeping me secure. I might have my antivirus on my PC, but the office firewall is not securing my internet connection. Mm -hmm. So I virtually have no security at all. So again, take the Trojan horse analogy. What we're seeing is people are getting their machines infected when at home, and then they're coming back into the office, walking in past the firewall, and they're plugging in on the inside. Office networks are typically set up and designed to not check that thing. So they're not looking at the PC beside me attacking, I'm not going to assume that. I'm looking for attacks coming in from outside. So now I land in with my office PC that has been infected on the phone and now it spreads laterally and I have a, a breach of my network. Well, I, I, I never thought of the latter example that you gave. That's, that's mental. Um, we're, we're coming up on time and I've got one or two more questions left for you. Um, audience typically uh, uk irish business owners mds founders uh, starting to creep up that uh, more americans are listening to this as well so the example i'm going to give americans if you're listening high school is the example for us irish and english secondary school is the example kevin if you could add any subject to the secondary school curriculum that you had final decision making authority on and it had to be mandatory what would you add that's not currently on the curriculum and why Okay, that's an interesting one. So, um, uh, do you mind if I go off, please? I'm going to go away from my. Yeah, computer. absolutely. So, look, you know, mental health is a huge challenge in in the world today, and uh, and if you look at you know how we manage our mind and how we manage our or even our thought process, how we how we look after ourselves, you know, and, and our own mental health. Um, is, is almost completely understood. And over, over time, people discover 
elements and they discover, you know, some people discover meditation and some people, you know, realize about setting vision boards and goals and objectives and all of those different things. For me, there's a huge gap in education on um, uh, mental health. And if mental health was solved at a younger age, you know, it would make it would make even the ability to learn in other subjects so much more powerful. And um, you know, I, I had a very challenging period in the in the first recession. And uh, you know, in 2008, 9, and 10, 11, really, really tough period. And and over that period, I learned an awful lot around mental health and how to manage my mind expectations and also you know even about leadership and leading teams and all that if you look at the curriculum today you know we're looking at at linear subjects and you're looking at maths and english and irish and business studies and economics and all of those different elements right but actually in each and every single one of those the power of the mind is so important for us to be able to deliver and you know like uh, give, give a simple example which i'm sure lots of people will disagree with but you know you have people who go, I'm crap at maths, right? And then you, you literally ask them, look, what's uh, the bill here is 56, what's 56 and 36? And the first thing they say, oh, I'm really terrible at maths, right? And their internal dialogue starts giving out to themselves and telling them how crap they are at maths, right? But actually, if they have an ability to just quieten the mind for a couple of seconds and learn how to do that, they, they actually, you know, in my experience is everyone has a similar ability. It's about how well we train for it. And you know, for us to actually understand mental health, for us to understand the process of managing our own mind and, and actually to use that and teach that to people at a young age and a very young age. I mean, my kids are, you know, uh, 14, uh, 7 and 5. And, you know, particularly with the younger ones, since they were very young, I've done loads of things with them. And they're so good at, at this point, looking at only 7 and 5, right? But for me, the mental health side of it, and I mean, I've been telling them since they were before they knew what maths was, how great they are at maths, and the two of them are brilliant at that, right? And and I and I look in twenty years, let's have another podcast, and I'll tell you if I was right or wrong in my uh, policy. But if that could be there from an early age, I think that would be transformational. There's no country in the world doing it at any significant level, and and if people actually understood it, I think the power of what Ireland could do on a global scale would be enormous. Um, and it underpins every other subject. And I think it's a huge gap uh, for people. And I think most people who, who really, truly understand it only do it through a crisis when they're 20, 30, 40, or 50, or even 60 years of age. And at that point, they're going, God, if I had known this 20 years ago, it would have been transformational. Great answer. There's a woman over in the UK, Kim Antonio, and she's basically... Uh, at the early ages of early education and she views education not as years but not as like first year second year third third class but as levels and if a kid uh, doesn't get to the certain level by the end of the year they're left behind and as each level goes further the gap for them gets larger for example uh, writing gives you the ability to think which gives you the ability to ask questions and articulate your points of view but if you are at a level below other people confidence all these other things might come into place and she's doing great work over in the uk with a technology uh the names got out of my head but i'll leave a link to it below but yeah great answer final question is um it all started with kol solutions albeit now it's nostra technologies i'd like you to imagine it's the year 2030 and we're looking back on the last decade 
what would you like to be looking back on? You can answer this personally, professionally, or a combination of both. Oh yeah. Well, look. You know what I would say is is uh, you know the, the the business is is in a flow at the moment, and you know I, I believe that Nostra will uh, continue to grow and expand. Um, you know, I would have ambitions to make Nostra over the next twenty years Ireland's largest company, privately held organization. And and I think Nostra will diversify far outside of IT into different areas of you know business consulting and um, you know car leasing business that we founded at the start of this year which has just blown up on us in a positive way uh, since we did it and we, we got into EV leasing and you know we, we're seeing uh, and certainly I'm seeing on a business side just just uh, if we can if we can continue to grow continue to to go and and maintain customers and maintain teams at the rates we're doing I think it'll be and super but really on a, on a personal level uh you know my my health uh is is critically important to me and I've, I've suffered with back pain for the last 22 years and i've been making a huge effort in the last nine months to to put a permanent solution to that and that's about you know exercise and meditation and eating right and all those uh, different things and i'm working with a with a, a, a organization now to help me get that better so looking back i'd love to go out I've completely resolved my my back uh, challenges and health, which which has an impact on on daily life, uh, and I'd love to see you know uh, again my kids uh, growing up and, and and getting to a point that they're all independent. You know I don't I don't ever envisage or be one be one want to be one of those dads that brings my kids uh, into my own organisation. I'd love them to come in if they wanted to, um, but to get a model in which. You know they can go off and be independent create and do their own thing in the world and for me to be able to facilitate that and help them to do it and that's not a financial thing that's a that's a encouraging to start out and you know you have to start at the, at the beginning and and, and and build out what you want but happiness uh for my kids is is the most important and if i'm looking back at 10 years and saying i've got three kids they're all blissfully happy and and uh you know, I'm, I'm uh, still in the same place with a very happy marriage and, and, a, and a wonderful wife who backs uh, all the decisions that I have, and that the business has continued to grow. Uh, for me, that's that's massive success. Kevin, kudos to you for your success to date. I wish you nothing but the best going forward. Uh, but for the 35, 40 minutes I spent with you today, thank you for your time. Thanks, Rain. No problem. If your metro don't trust you, I'm gonna show you. Beautiful morning, you're the sun of my morning, baby.